Yes. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and always informative weekly blog. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Gray. Uh, If you visited arkansas or live in arkansas then there is a good chance that you have patronized one of my guests establishment mr frank fletcher jr owns restaurants steakhouses car lots wyndham riverfront hotel fletcher realty and fletcher fur but the first company he founded that he cut his teeth on was cheyenne silverwood industries this little startup that fletcher founded in his garage grew to become the largest lamp company in the united states he expanded its manufacturing to taiwan and mainland china and grew this business to over 100 million in annual sales before selling the company in december of 2010 in preparation for this interview i began writing a paragraph that just grew too long so to paint a quicker picture of how interesting this man is i just made some bullet points and they are he was adopted He grew up on a farm in Tamo, Arkansas, with a population of five. He married his high school sweetheart. At the age of 14, he was six feet, four inches tall. Frank's a graduate of the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville and a fraternity brother of Dallas Cowboy owner Jerry Jones. After college, he joined the Army. After the Army, he supplemented his income where he was working at Worthen Bank by working at Shakey's Pizza Parlor. That's going to bring up a lot of memories for people. He met Mr. Sam Walton at Walmart Number 2 in Harrison, Arkansas, and he owns racehorses, all with some variation of the name Rocket for his once-beloved dog, Rocket. It's not every day you get the opportunity to sit down with a self-made millionaire and hear how it all unfolded. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table the tall, hardworking, intuitive businessman and philanthropist, Mr. Frank Fletcher. Hello. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. We've had a great time talking before the show. Yes, we have. Uh, Toma, Arkansas. I did not ask you about this before the show. Population five. Is that true? That's when my grandmother was there. Yeah, it was just we had a water tank, a cotton gin, and what we call a general store. We were farmers and... uh, I worked in the cotton gin, drove tractors, and that was how that I was able to graduate. My father said, you know, you, my, your mom and I, neither one, have been to school, so you're the only child. You're going to go to college, and if you make a C, you will be back here in this cotton gin the rest of your life. So they forced me to uh, study some at school. So it was a little bit out of fear that I got out of school in four years. So not being smart, but I didn't want to go back to Tamo. Tamo, is that Tamo. how you say it? Yeah. Is it Tamo still, a- still, I mean, people pass, when you go to uh, Florida, you all, everybody drives by Tamo, you see the water tower. It's about 25 miles south of Pine Bluff on the way to Grady. You're going down to Grady, Dumas, uh, Lake Village, you go right by Tamo. Who put up the water tower? I don't know. It was there when uh, when when I first remember it, but it was been there been there a long time. It was just uh, a lot of people that were in the farming business. But we, uh, my my parents moved there uh, in the uh, early early fifties, I guess, and um, 
you know, I, I remember growing up and riding horses and just, you know, have, I went to Grady until I was uh, 10th grade and uh, they asked me to come play basketball in Pine Bluff. So that was the opportunity for me to get a car carry. And so I never was a star in Pine Bluff, but at Grady, I was all state every year because I was a lot taller. That was n- no talent, just tall. That's good. You could just set the basketball into the net. Yeah, I could I could get it in there. What age but, were you adopted? I was adopted when I was two or three weeks old. And uh, back in that time, I understand you just went to the doctor and kind of showed them your driver's license and uh, asking if they had any babies. So it wasn't a long process, you know, like it is today. So, uh, you know, I've been asking many times, have you ever tried to find your real parents? And the answer is no, because, you know, the people that adopted me were my parents, and I had a wonderful, wonderful life. So uh, that was never a concern. But I, I do like to talk, you know, when, I, when I'm when i asked about being adopted, because there are many kids that are adopted that really – or afraid to talk about it or, or think that they're different or something. And I just, I, I always say, man, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I would, uh, I would, when I read that you're adopted and I, first thing I thought was, have you contacted your parents? And then I thought, boy, that could open up a can of worms. Cause I have had friends find their parents for too. health reasons. Right. You know, they want to know their genetics, health reasons. And so I bet if you found your parents and they found out that you were a self-made millionaire, they would be like, Oh, darn i can't believe i gave that baby away <laughs> well i always tell uh, my friends when we're laughing i go i know my dad worked in new orleans as a hawker out in front of the strip clubs because you know i'm i'm a, a pretty loud and uh oh, I always i thought you were gonna <laughs> say because i like myself. to go to no, strip I clubs always, <laughs> i always say come on in buy something so i figured that, that has something to do with my dna oh yeah you are a salesman a salesman from day one you got your uh your degree from uh, the University of Arkansas in business, and you pledged. I pledged Cap Sig and had some great, great friends that I, you know, they're still around. And Jerry Jones and I were uh, friends, and and you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to maintain that friendship and get to go uh, on a lot of you know trips with him and NFL. Uh, locker rooms and uh you know special places because of his kindness so that's been a you know an extra treat but i had just have so many friends this guy here in town named charlie whiteside and when he he was from fort smith and i'm from tamo and he said buddy what are you doing at school and i had no idea he said well the first thing we're going to do is burn all your clothes because (laughs) my mother had sent me with black and white shoes and a black and white belt and you know some really corny uh, clothes so the fraternity burned all my clothes on my arrival and then they took me downtown and bought all new clothes so (laughs) What were you supposed to have? Blue jeans? Oh, or something? I don't know. I was. I think. I think she went to Pfeiffer's and thought she was dressing me up, and uh, I, I must have looked pretty funny because they had a bonfire, and we we've laughed about that ever since. And Charlie went to work for Merrill Lynch and uh, kind of took care of whatever money I made. So he's been a great friend, and, and here still here in Little Rock. That's uh-huh. probably why you are so such a great alumni to the University of Arkansas. I read a lot about how you really love the university of arkansas and have done a lot to support them we we you know it's just it's one of the great things that happened to me and i got a chance a few years ago with jerry jerry contributed a little money and and i i said they said the university people said to me frank what, what would you do different if you were going to school and i went well i really didn't learn anything about real business you know when i was there so we got together and started a a 
class for students called SAKE, S-A-K-E, Students Acquiring Knowledge Through Enterprise. And it's we've been doing it about, I don't know, eight or nine years now. And the SAKE class actually runs, gets credit, and uh, tons of people want to sign up for it. And they run a business where they sell stuff on the Internet, take take credit cards, take returns. So they, they're actually operating a profit for business, and they're able to get all the alumni names that most people couldn't get. So they sell merchandise on the Internet and learn how the accounting process, but mainly the marketing process. So, you know, I would have given anything to take a class like that. Uh, you mean they actually have products that they sell they, in the they class? They actually have products. I, I sent the first class over to china and um, we had moved from taiwan over to china we had our own factories in mainland china so i sent the first class with uh, with some chaperones and then we took them through factories over there and they they have come back and talked to all the other classes those kids that have gone on graduated and we we just kind of opened our eyes to what could be made overseas and so then we developed products um and uh, we we have some domestic products too. So you so, develop products with that class with that, that class, are being and made then they in sell China, them to alumni. And, then, and then there's oh my for instance, gosh. like like the sidewalk has all the graduates on it. So they they sell a picture of Old Main, and then your name inscripted on foil. Uh, in a beautiful four-inch frame, and it, it's a, one of their number one sellers. So I guess so. They custom make it for everyone that orders from. Whose idea so. was that? Well, it, it's just yours. A little bit of idea. Oh, so. he's grinning. If everybody so. can't see, it's your idea. <laughs> but it, you know, that's that's been one of my real pleasures to, is to help the school a little bit. That, that is a real money maker. I bet. Well, it's you know I want it to each time they ask me what else can you do for us I go you keep expanding this class and I'll figure out a way to to do oh, more. So you know it's uh, about four hundred people apply and only thirty two get in. Here's a little more information about the Sake program that Frank Fletcher just mentioned to Carrie McCoy. This is uh, some input from a woman he works closely with at the Walton College of Business on the SAKE program. Her name is Carol Reeves. The way SAKE came about is in uh, spring of 1996, Mr. Fletcher was here speaking to my class, my strategic management class, and I proposed to him the idea of funding a student-run business because I thought that would be the best, best way for our students to learn. And he agreed. He said, well, have the students come up with a plan and submit that to me. And so I recruited students in the fall. They wrote a business plan. We didn't know what the business was going to be at the time. And he actually had the idea of making it framed products because he owned framing facilities. And he said, I can make sure that you get a good deal on your, uh, your frames. And so they presented it to him. He gave us some seed funding along the way, a few thousand dollars, and then at the end of the fall, he said, I think this is great. Uh, within a month, we had a check for $75,000 from him, and he also recruited Jerry Jones, who's a friend of his, to contribute to us. And so that was our seed funding for the class. He's been just incredibly successful, but he started from very poor uh, circumstances, and I think just seeing that is very motivational to them and very inspirational to them. But he always focuses on the basics. My MBA students who he speaks to, some of them work with Fortune 100 companies in very senior positions. And they love when he comes because they say he just gets everything down to the basics. And that's really what you need to succeed. And so I think he's just a, an incredible motivator. And he's a very funny storyteller. 
Carol Reeves from the Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. A little background on the beginning of the SAKE program that Frank Fletcher and Jerry Jones operate at the University of Arkansas. Now back to Carrie McCoy's conversation with Frank Fletcher, today's guest on Up In Your Business. You know, People don't realize, we, we talked about this right at the intro, how creative business is. And you just told the most creative, great business story about why people love business, why people that are in business like you love it because of the and they, creativity And they need some it. experience in college. They don't need to wait till they go out on their first interview because, you know, I went to work for Oil and Bank because I just I couldn't find a job. And I only worked there. I walked down to the unemployment bureau and said, Do you, can you find me a job? And they found me a job with DuPont. And so my first call at 22 years old, I called on a guy named Sam Walton. And I always say adoption number one, meeting Sam Walton number two. Sam Walton number two, when I was a very young person, he was my first first call I made. And this this is a good story. I walked in to see him. Of course, he was right there in the store, you know. And uh, I said, he said, who are, you know, who are you and what do you have? And I said, I've got Lucite paint. He said, oh, my goodness, we'd love to have a brand name. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to sell you 300 gallons. And he said, how much is it? And I said, $1,500. And he said, no, I'm not paying $1,500. So we talked a little bit, and he said, come on, go to the, I think it was the Lions Club. So he takes me as a young kid, and I guess he was 38 or 40. So we go to this luncheon. He's passing yellow pads back and forth to me, and he goes, I don't want 300 gallons i want 50 gallons and i said i'll lose the only other customer dupont has in harrison if if you buy it so anyway after much arguing i went to a pay phone because we didn't have mobile phones then and uh, i got him 120 days dating i pushed it across the table on the yellow pad and he said what does that mean and i said it means you don't have to pay for it for four months so i finally got an order Fifteen hundred dollars. Fifteen hundred dollars, and I spaced so I started, out over four months that was that was uh he didn't have to pay for it so you know it was sold and people don't realize that Walmart was begging for merchandise in those days. But the factories, you know, he sent me. So anyway, to make a long story short, after about six months, he said, I want you to quit DuPont. I want you to become a manufacturer's rep. And I said, I don't know what that is. He said, well, you'll go to work on a commission and just go ask people to sell their products. So I said, where'd I go? And he said, Chicago. And I said, how do I get there? And he said, you get on a train in Memphis that stops in St. Louis and so I got off in Chicago, but he forgot to tell me to wear a coat. And it was about 30 <laughs> below on the lake. So my contacts stuck to my eyeballs, and I knew I was in Chicago. So I went to a place called the Navy Pier, which had all the merchandise. It's, it's a famous tourist place now, but it used to be a merchandising mart. And I walked up to everybody and said, I'm Frank Fletcher. I'd like to represent your company. And I came home with about 50 companies of junk, you know. But anyway, I started calling on all the Walmart stores. You sold each store individually. And by that time, he had opened 15 or 20. So that was the start of my... So wait, he 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 hires you away from DuPont. He pried me away from DuPont. He, he makes you a, a rep for him. I left my six hundred dollars salary, which I was very proud of. That's right. And now I wasn't working for Walmart. I was. Working and that was six hundred a month. Company. Let's just say that was yeah, six hundred a, a month. So I went to work for companies that paid me a commission only if I sold something. So no salary. I gotcha. So so anyway, you. But you're, I thought you said when he hired you away, you became a sales rep for. No, not for Walmart. For oh. I was a manufacturer. What, what they call a manufacturer's rep, which means we represented different companies. Like if you had a company and I was selling your flags, so you pay had, me a commission if I sold one. If, if I didn't sell anything, I was of no cost to you. You're kind of like a buyer for him. No, you, not really. Just just I was just one of many many 
salesman calling on Walmart selling products, except I didn't work for one company. I worked for multiple companies. Did you get to keep your DuPont job? No, no. You had to completely give up your six hundred dollars. I had to give up my job. You had to and, take uh, this big risk. Yeah, so that, of going was, out. that was the first big risk. And uh, there are not manufacturer reps like that anymore. Oh well, there are a few of them, but not not many. But it's it's a commission job, and mm-hmm. that's I always love commission. And today, everyone that works for me, I, I pay very low salaries and high commissions because I think that if you can reach for the stars, no one needs to put a cap on what you can make. Uh, so. So even like people that are managers at my restaurant, for instance, we give them goals to hit. If they hit those goals, they keep making more and more bonuses. So you know what? They don't close at 10 o'clock when the door says 10 o'clock. They stay open until 11 o'clock. But it's just I've always believed in never telling someone this is your salary and this is all you can make. I always say make as much as you want, as hard as you want to work. And so that, you know, has always been good for me. And then, uh, Kerry, Mr. Walton fired me when I was about 28. He called me and he said, Frank, come in my office. And I said, well, sir, what's wrong? He said, well, there's nothing wrong with you. We're going to get rid of all the manufacturer's reps. But you didn't work for him. No, but he, when he said fire me, that, that is kind of confusing. He said, you're no longer going to have a job. Walmart is going to contact all the companies that you and all the other people represent. And we're going to tell those companies we want them to give us your commission. In other direct. words, if I was selling it to him for a dollar, he would get them to sell it to him for 95 cents, you see, and, mm-hmm. and Frank would lose out. So I said, well, Mr. Walton, I got two kids and a wife, and I've been working, you know, for a long time for, at your stores. And he said, you got paid for every day, son. He was he was real nice. I said, I'm thinking about suicide. And he said, well, go out in the front <laughs> lobby. Don't do it here in my office. <laughs> And I said, you know, it's not really funny. (laughs) So anyway, he said, go home and rent a garage and uh, make something, and I'll try to buy it from you. And I said, Mr. Walton, I can barely turn the key in my car. I'm not very inclined. So uh, I did. I went home and rented a garage, and and that was the birth of Cheyenne, which was a lamp company. We didn't make anything. We just assembled parts. We bought parts, and we actually made shades. So you know something about sewing. We bought sewing machines, and we sewed our own shades, but we bought all the parts from all over, and we assembled them. And so we started, and Mr. Walton bought the lamps. And when other people would leave Walmart and go to Target, I'd follow them to Target. When they went to Kmart, I followed them there. When we went to Lowe's or Home Depot, I followed people that left Walmart all over the United States. So I broadened my territory from Arkansas to the USA. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of great stories. This is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Mr. Frank Fletcher, Jr., entrepreneur extraordinaire. We'll we'll hear the story of his first business that he's just talking about, Cheyenne Silverwood Industries. Uh, Well, we we heard how it came about, but we're going to hear how he grew it into a $100 million company before selling it in 2010. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, along with Carrie's experience and leadership knowledge. In 2020, Carrie McCoy Enterprises acquired OurCornerMarket.com, an online company specializing in American-made plaques, signage, and memorials for over 20 years and more recently opened a satellite office in Miami, Florida. Stay up to date by joining FlagandBanner.com's mailing list. 
You'll receive our Water Cooler Weekly e-blast that notifies you of our upcoming guests, happenings at Dreamland Ballroom, sales at flagandbanner.com, access to Brave magazine articles, and Carrie's current blog post. All that in one weekly email. Or you may simply like flagandbanner.com's Facebook page for timely notifications. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags. TheFlagandBanner.com. Back to you, Carrie. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Mr. Frank Fletcher, founder of a diverse empire of successful businesses, including restaurants, car lots, manufacturing businesses, hotel and real estate companies. Uh, before the break, we talked about so much stuff. I can't even think of it all uh, about how Mr. Flet- Mr. Fletcher grew up. I just want to call you Frank. Can I just call you Frank? Please. How Frank uh, grew up. Uh, on a farm in Toma or Tama? Tamo. Tamo, Arkansas, uh, population of five, how he worked hard in uh, college, was a Sigma. Kappa-Sig. Kappa-Sig. Oh, that's the wild ones, isn't it? Yeah, that is the wild one. That's what I thought. I think I dated one of those. Anyway, uh, Kappa-Sigs <laughs> and um, how you went to work for DuPont, then you went to work for Sam Walton, and then how he pulled the rung from out from under you and you were going to commit suicide in the front yard of Walmart, but decided instead to start Cheyenne Silverstone Manufacturing in your garage in your house. So it sounds like... When Sam Walton pulled the rug out from under you, uh, that he also funded your venture. He said he would buy from you, but I think he maybe bought parts for you, too. No, he he, uh, he just told me if I made something good and if it was for the right price, he would buy. And I knew what the right price was. But he did, he did, he did help us, you know, by buying our merchandise. And uh, Why did you pick... Well, I was one of the pick? companies. That's a good question. One of the companies I represented was a company called Jim Cole Lamps in, in Jonesboro. And so I knew about lamps, and I had sold them for a long, long time. So I was really had a big business with, with that company. And uh, I actually went to the owner of that company and asked him if I could make some different kind of product than he made. And uh, he agreed. And anyway, that was why I started in the lamp business. And then uh, he agreed. So he he agreed. I kept I kept selling his product for a while, and I made different kinds of lamps. But eventually, my business started growing good, so I had to resign from his business. But uh, I had sold Mr. Walton so many different products over the period of years, and you know, one of the funny things was uh, that I uh, I taught myself how to to make up ads. Back in these days, we're talking a long time ago. They were Walmart was advertising in newspapers. So I went to a newspaper and said, teach me how to lay out an ad. And they said, okay, if you look at a newspaper, the customer buys or the customer reads from the top left. So whenever you put an ad in, so if you open up a newspaper like this, he said, you want your products in the top left. I always thought it was the top so, right. No, it's the top left. Oh, darn. So I, uh, I, I would learn how to cut and paste all the products that I had. I would make up an ad, put the Walmart logo on top, and I would – cut all my products and put them in the top and then I would put other products that Walmart had and I would hand the manager uh, a makeup of an ad and they loved it because they didn't have to do it and guess what my stuff was always on the top and I'll tell you one funny story about Mr. Walton and pricing when I first sold him a paint he said okay I didn't want to buy that much but 
how much did the, the Lucite paint cost? And I said, it cost $3.70. He said, what are we going to sell it for? And I said, three ninety seven. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. He, went, he said, uh, son, we can't make any money. I said, Mr. Sam, please, let me ask you about your toothpaste. What do you sell your toothpaste for? And he said, what's that got to do with the paint? And I said, you sell your toothpaste for less than you pay for it. You know why? Because you want to drive everybody in the health mediates, and then they buy all kinds of other stuff. I'm going to make your paint department famous, and then they're going to buy paint brushes, paint roller sets, and you're going to have the best paint department in the world. And he Lost went, leader. He went, okay. So uh, one, of the, one of the stories in sales is the, le- the least amount you can sell your product for, the faster it'll sell. In other words, instead of if it was a three ninety seven, it was going to sell a lot faster than if it was five ninety seven. But I've known people to make prices so low they run themselves out of business. Well, he wasn't going to run himself out of business, and all I was doing was was learning from what he had done when he started was the health and health mediates were his first big loss leader. So I would just work. I, I would always try to get him to promote my products, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll tell you a funny story about Mr. Walton. I mean, I could just write a book. He called me one morning about 6.30, and I woke up, and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm asleep. Who is this? And he said, it's Sam Walton, and it scared me. And I said, where are you, Mr. Walton? He said, I'm in Dothan, Alabama. I said, sir, the stores are not open. He said, I got a key in the guard. And he said, don't ask me about where I am. I'm going to pick your item for my, my item for a year's contest. So he picked an item, he told me, and I just got real quiet, and he said, what's wrong? I said, how do I tell you, sir, that's the wrong item? He said, how could it be the wrong item? I picked it. And I said, well, you saw it in Sam's Wholesale, and they work on a 10% markup. You're going to put it in Walmart, and they work on 35% markup. Once we go past the Sam's retail, it's not going to sell millions of dollars that you want it to. He said, okay, pick out another item. So I got to choose an item. And um, anyway, so we that had was a lot, that lot. was long after you had started your business because Sam's Club. Yeah, this is many years later, but yes. just the interaction with him, he he would just so much detail. You know, he asked me to meet him at a tennis court one morning at six o'clock in Dallas, six a.m., and he he wanted me to talk to him about a promotion, and he was constantly, you know, meeting with individual people. It's hard to think back then. When you think of what a giant corporation it is now. Yeah. Know? And he was just he was always so thinking. detailed. Always, how can we sell more? How can we sell more? And just uh, and a close relationship with everybody, it sounds like. So you picked Cheyenne Silverstone Manufacturing. How did you come up with that name? Well, silver is actually silver wood. We live on 808 Silverwood. So being a smart guy like I was, I looked at the signpost and said, I need a name for a mirror company. Cheyenne, I just always had a fascination about Indians. So anyway, that's that's kind of crazy, but that's how I picked that name. <laughs> but yeah, I picked Silverwood because I could see the sign. And uh, so, so you put them together. Yeah, no. Well, I had one company that came after the other. Silverwood was a company where we we uh, made mirrors. We we had an actual mirror machine as long as a football field, and you put glass on it. When it came out at the other end, 100 yards long, it was mirrors. So it was two different companies, the lamps first and then the mirrors. How long did you do lamps before they were Oh, off? probably five or ten years. I don't know, a long time. And then time. when did you add the mirrors? And then the mirrors. And then we sold them all as, as one company when we, when we— How long did you work out of your garage in your home? Oh, maybe a year. And uh, I still work today. I work my office in my home. I don't have a garage anymore, but— uh, 
I still, every morning I go downstairs and I have five other people that join me, my son being one. He's in business for me in the car business. And we have three other people that support us every day. So you don't go to an office. Yeah, just like my son's here. So I don't go to some big building. I I go one flight down and... And and rocket number three, I have a third dog now. They all look like all German shepherds. So rocket number three is sitting there by my desk waiting for the day to start. You don't feel like you need to get up and go to the office. I feel no, like I have know, to well, get up I and go wear, to the office. I can wear pajamas, shorts, or whatever I want to downstairs, <laughs> you know. And I don't have to put on a tie to go downstairs. Do you have people come see you? Do you ask invite people? Yes, over? absolutely, absolutely. I just it's always been that way. So I guess I'm just comfortable. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, you started that way, so you stayed that way. Yeah, so, so now, now we're just in, you know, we've moved on. We're only in the uh, hotel and the restaurants, and the, but the car business is our main deal. But I got to tell you the way I, what mm-hmm. made me stop being in the lamp business for 30, I don't know how many years, 30 years. I don't know how long I called on Walmart forever. And one day I walked in and this new buyer said, I don't like anything you have. I want to show you some pictures in the magazine. And she was 25 years old. And uh, she showed me pictures, and I said, that that doesn't sell in Walmart. And she said, I'm the buyer, and you're the seller. Be quiet. So I said, have you ever been to Poto, Oklahoma? And she said, what's that got to do with this conversation? I said, well, you can't sell chrome in Poto. And I said, you can't sell brass in Florida because the salt water. Right. And so she looked at me, and she said, you and I are not going to get along very well. You're going to sell me what I want. So I did. But I wrote her a letter, and I wrote the merchandise manager's letter and said, I'm not standing behind these products. I do not believe in them. They're not the right thing. How did it and work she out? bought them anyway. And then uh, she got fired, and six months later, another lady called me and said, hey, I don't like these lamps we have. And I said, you and I are going to get along beautifully. She said, great. <laughs> she said, I want you to take back about $3 million worth. And I went up to Walmart and showed her the letter. And the merchandise managers and the vice president supported me, and I didn't have to take them back. But that was when I decided it was time for me to retire. Was that hard to let go of your baby? Yeah, it was. But I realized that, that I had passed my time. Uh, you know, in the early days, what Mr. Walton always did, and the reason that company, not just nothing to do with myself, but for many, many people, Mr. Walton would say, and everybody he personally taught, Ask the vendor what their best products are and ask them how we can sell more than our competitors. Very simple. Very simple. And they, they move past that. You know, listening is a lost art form. People don't listen anymore. People, Absolutely. You know, they want to tell you what they like and what they want to do, and they don't listen. And I tell people all the time, listen to your customers. Your customers will tell you what they want. They'll tell you what the trends are. They'll tell you everything. So you decided to um, import. To me, that is the scariest thing in the world. How do you uh, learn the business of importing and the language barriers and come to trust your foreign partners? How did you overcome all of that? Well, I'm glad you asked me those questions because for somebody's listening tonight, and I hope they're thinking about importing because it is a great business but very dangerous. You already summed it up perfectly. So what I did and what I recommend to anyone else is to find a person who's maybe educated in the United States but at least uh, speaks perfect English, not only speaks it but understands English because a lot of people will say yes to anything you ask them. But I met a young man who went to school in California, but he was a Taiwanese. And he wanted to go back to Taiwan to marry. And so he said, I was young and he was young. I said, his, his name was Frank Wong. And I said, Frank, I want you to be my agent over there. And I want you to find the factories for merchandise I want. I want you to inspect all of the merchandise for quality. 
I want you to put it on the containers. So he did everything. He was he was my right arm first in Taiwan, and then Mr. Walter made us move into China. <clears throat> so he made. Um, I don't mind saying it because you're gonna, anybody that's listening to this program, you're going to have to pay an agent. You have to have an honest agent. Mm-hmm. I paid him 3% of everything that he put on the ship. But if something went wrong with it when it got over here, he would go back to the factory and make it right over there. So I can't just call up and say, I'm going to sue you in mainland China. It doesn't work. It's very important that no matter what you do is that if someone asks you for a certain pay scale, you've got to pay your, your agent. They're your partner. Yeah. Pay them so, well. You can't pick. I mean, I went to Asia maybe 35 times, but I was as lost as they would be if they came down to Tamo and wanted to look at a cotton gin. I mean, <laughs> you know, I didn't know anything about except that I was just trying to I was trying to, to judge my agent and I find him to be very credible. He would call us up and he'd say, you've forgotten we got a price reduction on an item where he could have cheated me out of that money. So he was a wonderful guy. He's still still alive. He lives and he moved back to Taiwan. How'd you meet this man? Well, he he was he was here in the United States. He just graduated from school, and he was trying to learn American culture. And I ran into him. He was he was selling uh, ceiling fans. You met him, at, you met him through was, a Walmart connection, I guess. In between the time that I got into the big lamp business, I had twenty six ceiling fan stores. So this young man, Frank Wong, sold me ceiling fans that were made overseas. So once I met him I knew he knew about China. I sold the ceiling fan stores and we started importing. What were the so, name of your ceiling fan stores? Well they were called Factory First. I bought one. Okay. Well the reason we called them Factory First because we, we our first store was over here behind the sheriff's department on Roosevelt. And uh We've tried to think of a name. We said, we can't call it Factory Seconds, so we're going to call it Factory First. And you so we have done to, yeah. everything. Well, you just was, create businesses. How'd you find that niche? Well, it was, you know, I love laying in bed and have a ceiling fan blowing on top of me. So, you know, back, you remember a long time ago that, that people love fans in yes. their houses. I don't yes. know if they use them today, but uh, we we just start open. And then this is what happens to some business. So we, were, we thought we were the king of the ceiling fan business. And the Home Depot decided to get into the ceiling fan business, and they sold them below cost, just what we were talking about. Lost below. later. Home Depot used it as a as a sales leader to bring people in, and so I. I did you I sell it, or did you gonna, close the business? I couldn't compete with them. You sell the business or close the business? I just uh, I sold off the retail stores that I had. I had some in Louisiana and Texarkana, and I sold all the stores and just got out of the business. So you got in the car business. How did that happen? Oh, that's a good story. That's your sto- favorite yeah, that's one. That's my favorite isn't... story. Uh, one of my very best friends who's passed on knocked on my door one day. He asked me if I'd come to my office. He came, knocked on my door, and he said, Hey, I'm J.D. Wilson. Do you remember me? He said, I sold you some cars from Moore Ford. And I said, J.D., I do remember you. He said, Well, I want to get a job driving a forklift. And I said, J.D., you ever driven a forklift? And he said, No. I said, What do you do? He said, I'm the greatest car salesman in the world. I said, well, buddy, if you need a job, let's get in the car business. So we ordered, we bought an 80-foot mobile home, and we rented some property next to Russell Chevrolet, and we opened up the first car business. We called Car Plaza USA, which was a used car lot. So that was how I started in 1989, and that was my first car lot was a used car lot that J.D. Wilson talked me into. So you had your Cheyenne Silverstone company you started in the 70s. Then you started Factory First. Yeah. 
Then you started a car business. Is that no, would well, that be the order? I started order? that in 1989. I was still in the lamp business at that point. Yeah, you're still, still in still that. Still in yeah. the lamp business. That's where you're making. Money. I didn't know we were ever going to have one store in the, in the car business. So JD was a wonderful man, and then he said, "Boy, we need to get in a new car business." So we went down to Lone Oak, Arkansas. You know, probably a population of I don't know three or four thousand. Great town. Bought a little little Chevrolet store, and learned about the new car business. And they phoned me from from General Motors from Financial, and they said, "Mr. Fletcher, do you know that you're losing twenty thousand dollars a month?" And I said, "Am I losing that much?" And they said, "Yes." I said, "I owe y'all anything?" And they said, "No." They said, "Would you mind coming up here? We'd like to see you eyeball to eyeball." So I come go over to West Little Rock where their office was, and they said, "Why are you in it, staying in this business and losing so much money?" I said, "I'm going to school," and they said, "What does that mean?" I said, what if I'd bought a big store in Little Rock? I'd probably be losing 200000 a month. So anyway, it was, oh, I had to learn the new car business because I didn't know anything about it. So, so you anyway, wanted to lose it in where property was I cheap I wanted to lose it as the least amount I could lose it. So anyway, I had it was like going starting all over again. So I how, had to learn everything. How long before you moved to Little Rock? So I, I, uh, I, moved, I moved in. Uh, first store was in Jacksonville, uh, and it was a Dodge store. And so... They didn't have a dog store in North Little Rock. So I talked to him and I said, let me build a new store in North Little Rock. We'll move the, the store from Jacksonville to North Little Rock. So anyway, that was in 19, probably 1991. I got in a new car business. And since then. <laughs> How many? How many do you have? We bought and sold 47 dealerships. Bought and sold. We have uh, 12 different stores now. But we've we've had a lot of other stores that in different states. And, I, you know, for one reason or the other. That I made a mistake and I I bought a store and sold it in six months. You want to hear that story? Yes. And then I, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. Yes, I want to hear that one first. I bought a store in Memphis and I was really proud of it. And it was in a good part of Memphis. So I called the media people and I said, I'd like to get a contract for radio and for TV. They said, sir, we don't need your business. Do you know about Tunica? And I said, what? They oh. said, there's 14 casinos down there and they're taking up all of our time and goodbye so they they didn't really want to even talk to me right so the newspaper was ridiculous and the radio station didn't want to talk to me and then a guy walks in he goes you know this is a bankruptcy capital of america and i said surely detroit is and they went nope memphis is memphis is so memphis is the bankrupt capital Capital of america of the united states oh wow okay go ahead so anyway I decided it was time for us to leave memphis we couldn't advertise it was a bankruptcy capital so it was just you know uh we got out of that store for the same amount we paid well, for. Well, Memphis has a lot of population, but this is but the the size of the business community it seems like to me is about the size of the Little Rock it community. It is. And, and some but parts even though of the Memphis population great, is huge. But the products we were selling they were the people had such low credit we couldn't get them financed. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Right. This is a great place to take a break. When we come back we'll continue our frank conversation with Mr. Frank Fletcher, sorry, I can resist that. Entrepreneur extraordinaire. We'll talk about his passion for ponies. Yes, and why all his racehorses have some variation of the name Rocket. And about his philanthropic arm. Well, we've already talked a little bit about that, about how he's using his learned business skills to empower others. He told me a story. What was that term you told me on the story? Uh, Joint and several. We're going to tell that story. We'll be right back. When a great organization serving a great community issues a new mission statement, that's a big deal. And the Friends of Dreamland has one. Friends of Dreamland celebrates the community of historic West 9th Street, shares the legacy of Dreamland Ballroom, 
and preserves the original intent of Taborian Hall. Let's break that down. Celebrate the community. The men and women that lived, worked, and played in the West 9th Street neighborhood faced brutal social stigma every day, but thrived. We'll never forget this and we'll always celebrate it. Share the legacy. There's no doubt that the most fun and fascinating facet of the history of Dreamland Ballroom are all the legends that graced the Dreamland stage. Unfortunately, it's taken only one generation to almost completely forget this great history. It promotes pride in our hometown when we remember it and encourages us to do everything we can to keep this community strong. And finally, preserve the original intent. Taborian Hall was built as a central fixture of commerce, community organization, and entertainment. And that's our mission statement now. We have a major legacy to live up to and a lot of work ahead of us, but we plan to move forward. See how you can help develop the new mission statement into reality. Visit dreamlandballroom.org. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Mr. Frank Fletcher, founder of a diverse empire of successful businesses, some of which we've been talking about today and we're going to continue to talk about. Uh, I feel like I'm going down memory lane when you talk about Factory First. And you talk about, and even before the break, before the last break, we talked about you working at Shakey's Pizza Parlor. And, I mean, everybody loves those stories. And More Than Bank, that's no longer around, that you worked there for a little while. Uh, and we and we always talk about how it's you know there's no secret to success it's hard work and um and you're paying it forward today and we were going to not forget when we came back to talk about something that you teach when you go and talk to the University of Arkansas's business department it's something that kind of jumped up and bit you in the you know what it's called joint joint and several several partnerships all right tell us okay here's you know uh this is probably the scariest thing that ever happened to me in business but i uh i was approached many years ago 40 years ago to to, i own i along with a bunch of guys we own a little piece of land off a rock that we had maybe ten thousand dollars in it and so this man approached us and he said i own 19 hiltons and uh my name is Roy Cycle. I'm from Oklahoma City, and I'd like to acquire your land, and you guys can have a percentage of the Hilton, and you don't have to put any money up, and you'll get a big tax uh, check back from the government. I said, well, would you like me to hug you, or what would you like me to do? And the <laughs> other guys were smarter than I were, and they said, we don't want anybody. Just give us a little money. We'll be gone. So was, no money down. So no money down, and I got a big six-figure check back from the government. And you're going to be a partner so in Hilton. So I was going to be a partner in this new Hilton with no money down. I was going to own 5%. And Mr. Cycle and his friends owned the rest of it. So I didn't pay attention to what kind of loan he got. I didn't pay attention to anything. I just drove by the hotel and went, hey, we own a little bit of that hotel. It was Hilton's where our Wyndham is now. A lot of people remember when it was Hilton. Mm-hmm. So about... 10, 11 years went by, and one day I got a phone call, and this gentleman said, uh, is this Frank Fletcher? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm, I'm with the Republic Trust Corporation. Do you know who we are? And I went, I don't. He said, well, we're a government agency, and we've taken over some banks, and you guys owe us $11 million. And I said, I think you're talking to the wrong person. He said, so we're going to sue you for $11 million. And I said, sir. I don't know who you are, and I don't know anything about the government being involved with this, but I only own 5%. And he said, well, you need to go see a lawyer. You signed a joint and severally liable partnership. And I said, well, I've never heard of those words. I don't know what that is. He said, well, a lawyer will explain it to you. So I went over and saw Mr. Ernie Harper, 
at the Hilburn firm, and I said, Mr. Harper, could I possibly owe them? He said, yes, they can hold you liable for I said, well, what happened to Mr. Cycle and all the other people? Yeah. He said, well, Mr. Cycle had gone bankrupt in the meantime. And so there were other partners that did have some money, but the, the Republic Trust Corporation decided that they were going to go after me. So I said, I called this gentleman back, and I said, sir, we can sell our house, and we don't really owe you but $550,000 if you multiply 5% times $11 million. Yes. I said, we're going to scrape up a million dollars and just go out of business. And he, he hung up. And I called him back. And I said, did you hear me? And he said, we're not interested. I tried to offer him $2 million, $3 million. He kept saying no. So I finally went to uh, Dallas after this went on for a year and a half. And they were going to just sell the hotel at auction. And then if, let's just say it is sold for $3 million, he would have sued me then for $8 million, And, and I would balance. not have had the hotel. Uh. So since we don't have it much time. I finally made a deal with them after two years that um, that I would pay them six million, and uh, I found out they had written this loan down from eleven million to six million because one bank sold it to another bank and they sold it to another bank, and I learned that it actually wasn't on the books for eleven million. They'd already written it down, so I, I, I bought the hotel for six million. So I never intended to be in the hotel business, but because I signed a a joint and several partnership, so if Mr. Rockefeller, I ask you, the listeners, to sign. Don't ever sign anything that's joint and severally liable because it's a bad partnership. And you said you went through all the business uh, schooling. I never heard of those words. Never so heard those. Every words. time I speak to a class now, I write those words on the on the board. And um, one time I was taking Bobby Petrino to lunch, and he goes, he called me back after we had lunch. He said, "Hey, I just met you today. Would you mind texting me?" So I found the law, and I. I made up a little gold plaque, and I sent it to God, Bobby Petrino, and he still has it. <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, your horse racing. Yeah. It's your passion for it is, ponies. It is, it is what I'm doing now that I, I get really excited about. And um, All so, your horses are named Rocket. They're all named Rocket. Anyway, uh, we love the horse business. We're, uh, we have a, a, a manager, a young lady named Kathy Moore Howard. She used to be a jockey. And now she manages. We have mares that we have babies every year. And we Where have, are they? Well, they're, they're, the mares are in Kentucky, and our horses are in New York and in uh, Kentucky. Different places we race at different tracks. How many horses do you have? I'm not sure. Oh, now, come on. Really? <laughs> well, 20? We have, we have more than we can afford. That's 20? No, we, not that many. But uh, I talk to Steve Landers every day, and I go, Steve, you make any money in the car? In the uh, I know he's making money in the car. Are you making any money in the horse business? He goes, Frank, you know we just spend our money on this. Well, that is true, isn't it? <laughs> but it is fun. It is fun to go to the, you know, it's, it lasts uh, maybe a minute and 20 seconds, and it's, uh, it seems like a lifetime. Oh, well, okay. So, if you, you know, got the money, weekend, are we you were, ever planning to retire? You, or you just no, gonna... I'm going to work till the day they, till God calls me home. You're very religious. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think we're thing. all parts of God in heaven, and and um, I'm thankful for everything I have. This is the funniest story to me. He well, told me right I, before. Um, I've been baptized when I was, of course, when I was small, and then again, I think when I joined the first church early on. But I'm um, I'm now friends with a with a pastor who thinks that you need to be under the water, so I'm going to be baptized uh, again. Submerged. Submerged. 
anyway. But, but that's not the funny part. You said, no, Pastor, I've been baptized. I don't want to be submerged. I don't want to mess up my hair. And he said, I oh. said, I don't have any hair when I get wet. And so he said, hey, I'll come to your house. you got a swimming pool. And I went, yeah. So He's myself coming. and some of my friends are going to be baptized again. It's your swimming pool. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Uh, what do you want your legacy to be? Uh, that's a hard thing to say. I, know. I, I uh, It is. I, I'm proud of my family. I'm thankful for my family. And I've always said I'm thankful for all the opportunities I've had. You're a great person. I have so enjoyed meeting you. I have a gift for you. Uh, it's a desk set. Thank a U.S. You. and Arkansas flag desk set. Do you well, have one of those? That be on my desk. I do promise. you have one of those? No, I've never had one. I'm amazed how many people do not have a state and American flag desk set sitting on their desk. Especially well, this one will be there. Good. Think about how much fun we had on the show every time you look at it. I want to thank you again, Frank. Hey, I've had a great time. You've been great. Thank you. For our listeners who might have a great entrepreneurial story they'd like to share, send a brief bio and your contact info to me, Carrie at flagandbanner.com, and someone will be in touch. And to all, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. We have a special message for you today from the director of the Friends of Dreamland, Matthew McCoy. Coming up Saturday, June 17th, the Mosaic Templars Cultural Center is going to be throwing their annual Juneteenth celebration. The day starts with a marathon and continues all day up and down historic 9th Street. Food, music, fun of all kinds. More information on all the events leading up to the day and Juneteenth in Rock is at JuneteenthLittleRock.com. JuneteenthLittleRock.com. As for the Friends of Dreamland, they're going to participate, ready to show off some of the amazing work they've been doing. You can join the Friends of Dreamland at 1 p.m. on that day for a tour of the Taborian Hall and the Dreamland Ballroom. During the marathon race that starts that day in the morning and right up until 3 p.m., they'll also be hosting an open house. Plenty of opportunities to view the Dreamland Ballroom, which you hear us talk about on this program many times. June 17th is the day. JuneteenthLittleRock.com is, again, the website to find out all the schedule of events for Juneteenth in Rock. And the Friends of Dreamland hope you stop by Taborian Hall and the Dreamland Ballroom on that day. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Subscribe to podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.